0: Good evening, good afternoon. My name is Mukanda Mombol and welcome to the Supply Chain African News Podcast where we talk about all matters supply chain. We highlight entrepreneurs, influencers and professionals who are making supply chain a better practice. Today in the studio I have Modibo Diko. As I've mentioned we're on a series where we're highlighting men and women in supply chain and Modibo is the second man that I'll be highlighting. We're going to talk about him being a consultant working for different organizations working in health health supply chain health health supply chain management and most importantly all matters about rest. yeah we're going to talk about rest and how racial profiling does exist and also what what is his day-to-day when it comes to being an independent consultant stay tuned I, I didn't know that Geneva is only an hour behind of Kenya. I was afraid that you'd you'd be somewhere where the time difference would be too much, but I'm glad it's not that bad. Um, I'd like to start by asking, ja, have you gotten the chance to get vaccinated?
1: Oh yes, yes. I had been vaccinated ah. uh, since uh, in February and March of this year. February because those March. Ah,
0: Oh, Oh, Moderna vaccine. And what is the uptake in in Geneva? What's the vaccine uh, uptake?
1: Uh, In Geneva, what is the uptake uptake of vaccine? 60% in general. But I guess it will be increasing very fast because now they are requesting uh, the proof of vaccination in order to be admitted in restaurants, in uh, shopping malls, in, uh, you know, everywhere. So I guess... The conference will increase
0: very, very quickly. Very soon. Yeah, that's the same thing that has been happening in Togo this week. I know the government has said if you don't have uh, the the COVID-19 pass, so they're calling it in Togo, you'll not be able to handle. People also to go into the public spaces. So now everyone in Togo is rushing to get vaccinated, which in my opinion is a good thing because people need to get vaccinated, especially in Africa, because we were not hit that much, but we Mm -hmm. still do need to get vaccinated. Where does your story start before you became an independent consultant, before you work for Bioforce, before you, you even had uh, the thought of getting into supply chain management? Where did you grow up and where does your story begin?
1: So well, I, I was born in, uh, in Mali and grew up there uh, until the uh, end of high school. Then I got a scholarship to go to the Soviet Union to become an energy engineer for power plants, thermal power plants. And when I came back to Mali with my uh, degree, there was no job for me because Mali was turned toward hydro plants, not thermal plants. So I had to reconvert myself into solar energy and I became my career as a young engineering engineer in the solar energy lab in Bamako. When did
0: you tra- make your transition into supply chain? Uh, I'm,
1: I first came in contact with vaccines when in one thousand nine hundred and eighty two NASA brought uh, solar fridges to test in Mali at that time, solar fridges was uh, rocket science, so that 's the reason NASA brought it to Mali. so we tested the, the four fridges that 's how I was put uh, uh, in contact with the immunization program and came to know vaccines but I was approaching uh the logistics only on the side of the device i was busy with the fridge not with the content of the fridge it's then when uh, i um went to the uh uh wso in 1995 uh then i started dealing with logistics properly uh, in proper term not only not only with the fridge but with the supply chain in general uh, in Africa. The transition was very long. I worked 10 years in solar energy lab and then 10 years in the private sector, first with a British engineering called IT Power Limited, and then with my own private consulting firm called Afritech. So in Afritech, in uh, ninety-five, I got a big disappointment because uh, let's say on Friday I was told I was awarded a big contract from the African Development Bank uh, to make the junction between the electrical grids of Mali and Cote d'Ivoire. And then on Monday, uh, the contract was broken by the African Development Bank Bank and awarded to the Germans. And I couldn't do anything about it. Then uh, I was sitting in my office very grim, very disappointed. Then I received a call from a friend from WSO called John Lloyd. And he asked me, Moribu, are you ready to go for WHO to work one year in Abidjan? And I told him, John, I am ready to go even to the hell. <laughs> I was so disappointed. That's how I started with WHO. Initially for one year, and then, but I stayed there for 17 years.
0: Uh, so you you worked for Bioforce Institute. You are program coordinator for Bioforce Institute in France, And... That yo, Among the tasks there was that you were to improve the logistics performance of health programs and also to strengthen them at the same time, to strengthen health systems, capacity building. When you look at that space, like in France and the work you're doing, and also you, and in comparison to Senegal, what can we learn from that? Yeah, What can we learn about the health systems in France and how capacity building is done there in, in due in respects to, to us as, as a continent?
1: I stayed with BioForce only for four months, uh, but uh, I liked the, uh, the way they were working. Uh, I liked their motto, which is mettre um, l'homme en capacité d'agir, put people in capacity to act. So I liked that very much. Uh, and uh, they were organizing capacity building uh, sessions in Lyon, but also developing courses in Africa, uh, and uh, um, I, I, I was part of a group to develop to make the feasibility study of a school uh, to train people in Africa, and uh, that uh, that went on very well. But the school was supposed to be in Bamako, uh, but because of the socio-political situation in Mali, the school was transferred to Senegal, and still there. And it is receiving a lot of students. I really like the way they work. They try to empower people on the ground.
0: So you are a well-learned, well-traveled man. I'd like to know which books are you reading right now?
1: Um, I'm reading right now two books. I always read at the same period two books, one novel and one more Serious a treaty or a history book, and uh, now I'm read. I started reading the biography, Obama's biography, uh, and then uh, the second book is a book about uh, African philosophy. Has been a take home from the Obama biography. Uh, I'm I'm at, really at the beginning, so. Oh, you interview really me began. later on. I will tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will. I will. I will get back to you on that. I'll. I'll have to get back to you on that. So, at the chain is said and thought, and also maybe experienced to be a very male-dominated uh, profession. Uh, at the moment, only thirty-seven percent of professionals in Africa are are female. What do you think? How can we scale women in this
1: profession? I think. It's not only supply chain management which is uh, uh, subject to that situation. It's all technical uh, areas. I, I, the, the the mentality across the country is that uh, technical areas are for males and other uh, more soft areas are for for, for 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 ladies. So we have to change that. Um, in uh, in uh, in our team in W H O our. We had only one lady, and she was an American. But it's changing in the countries. They started uh, recruited uh, ladies in the in supply chain. The first one was uh, Mrs. B- Ballet from Benin, and uh, there was uh, Madame Mondo in DRC. There were the first two, and then after that, many countries started recruiting ladies: uh, Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Senegal, Zimbabwe, uh, Uganda. So it's changing in the countries. But uh, in our team in WSO um, I left uh, while we had only one lady uh, in, uh, in the So, logistician. But I guess it, things will change. Here uh, in Mali, for instance, we have ladies in the army. We have general lady, colonel lady, captain lady. So, it's changing the uh, the mentality is changing, so I'm sure we will have more ladies in supply chain
0: yeah, I'm sure as time goes by, uh, it will stop looking like a male-dominated space, and then uh, many many women will get on board, which is very true. So I have I have this one thing that I know that in my 23 years of living, I have had mistakes that have really humbled me. But at the same time, those mistakes have really taught me a lot. So is there anything that you've done career-wise or even personal-wise that you're like, that was one thing I did that really humbled me, but at the same time, it really taught me a major lesson?
1: Many things. I went through uh, difficulties. Uh, The first one was uh, the day when I decided to go to the private sector. I was a civil servant in Mali and uh, salaries were very low and they were not coming at the end of every month. We could wait for three months before getting a salary. So I decided to go to the private sector. And uh, when I decided that, I spoke with my older brother and he he told me I am very, uh, how to say, unconscious because I have a family and then I go to the private sector and the private sector is does not work in Mali, so this is not good. Uh, I told my wife, she started crying. Then I went to my father, my father. I never worked for the government, and every day there was fire in my kitchen. So he's the only one who encouraged me. But all the surrounding people, they just told me, you will fail. Uh, But I didn't fail, fortunately. (laughs) So that's a, a, a first difficult experience I went through. Uh, the second one was when uh, I went to WHO, and uh, there uh, in WHO there is um, a kind of mentality that if you are not a medical doctor, you you don't you are not very well considered. They overlook upon you if you are not a medical doctor, so you have to fight against that. And, and make your way in WHO. Uh, when you realize that at uh, the first time, it's a bit discouraging. But uh, when you stay with people, they come to know you, they know what you're capable of doing, they change their mind. But it's a difficult experience to go through.
0: I totally understand. I can only imagine the transition from, I think everyone's transition from public sector to private sector is always very tough, but the, the studies only are always victorious so That when you're going through it, it really does not make sense, so thank you so much for that so you worked for InterHealth International and you led the informed pushed model project for the distribution of reproductive health products as, as a woman, I totally understand the stigma around reproductive health, even just before handling the reproductive health products themselves, so as a man working in that sector, how was it? and then also as an African man, how did you maneuver that
1: space? Well, uh, it was a wonderful experience for me in uh, intra-health because all the time I have, I had been dealing with immunization supply chain. And there I was just exposed to supply chain management for contraceptives. And uh, the it is a bit different. In immunization, we strive to increase coverage. We want to... 80% coverage, 90% coverage. And these guys were struggling with 7%, 10%, 20% coverage. And their uh, their main uh, objective is to avoid stockout. While in immunization, we strive to increase coverage. They strive to avoid stockouts. So it's different, but it's more difficult. It's more difficult. And fortunately, we we could outsource uh, the last mile with private sector. And they proved to be very effective. Uh, I wish I could show you pictures of ladies carrying boxes of contraceptives on their head to walk 10 kilometers because no car would go there, no motorcycle would go there. Because it was private sector, they would go do everything that is needed to do to bring the contraceptive to the most remote health facilities. So it was really a good experience for me. Uh, Regarding stigma, in Senegal, uh, they they accept contraception as a way to distant pregnancies for married women, uh, but they don't accept uh, contraceptive for unmarried women. So that's a difficulty, but... uh, uh, Dealing al- already with married women was enough burden for us.
0: <laughs> I think when it comes to contraception, it's such an issue, mostly for African women, because even in Kenya, we're having the same issues. You when know, uh, an unmarried woman is on contraception, there's so much talk around that. But then when a married woman is on contraception, I think it's more allowed. So I can only imagine how it was now in Senegal and how you had to maneuver that. But I'm pretty sure you, you did your best. You did the, the best that you could at the time facilitated the 11th training session in immunization supply chain management of the Logivac Center. You, I hope I pronounced that right.
1: Uh, how is the uptake of immunization in Senegal? In Senegal, the uh, immunization uh, rate is, is uh, I can say, very high. It's, uh, it's above 80% coverage in Senegal. So uh, it's a good program. Uh, it's working very well, and um, uh, uh, I the the only problem I can see with them is uh, uh, data. They have a data quality problem sometimes, um, because uh, regarding population data, it does not depend on the program. It depends on another institution of the government that gives them the population numbers. So because of that, they have some difficulties with data quality. But well, the program is working very well. The coverage is very high. Uh, I would say it's one of the best programs in Africa.
0: When you compare the immunization uptake and the COVID vaccine uptake in Senegal, is there a comparison? Is it positive or is it negative?
1: COVID vaccine uptake is much lower than uh, immunization, regular immunization vaccine, Uh, There is no rumor against uh, immunization as regarding to children and uh, women, routine immunization. Uh, But uh, regarding COVID, uh, there are still some people listening to to rumor that are circulating. Uh, But uh, even that, uh, the the coverage uh, in Senegal is much higher than, for instance, in Mali, where rumour is more insistent uh, and more, uh, more loud in Mali.
0: What can we do about those rumours? Because the conspiracy theories are also in Kenya, which is limiting the uh, the vaccine penetration, what can we do? As someone who has been in this space, in the health space for quite some time, what can we do to ensure that the right information gets the right people so that they can come out and get vaccinated?
1: Uh, let me tell you a small story first. Uh, one of my brother, brother-in-law asked me, Modibo, what, what do you advise me? Do, should I get vaccinated or not? I said, I don't know what you should do. It depends on you. But what I know is that Israel has vaccinated the entire population their entire population. Knowing that they are surrounded by people who want to throw them into the sea, do you think they would vaccinate their entire population if that vaccine would do wrong uh, harm to their population? He said no. I said that's the the new generation of vaccines. Regarding the ancient former uh, generation of vaccine, which is AstraZeneca, in England, they had Vaccinated a big chunk of their population with AstraZeneca. Also, if this this old generation of vaccine was also bad, would England vaccinate their children, uh, their population to such a high level of coverage? He said no. Then I said, you have the choice. England is former generation of vaccine. Israel is the new generation of vaccine. Both have vaccinated their entire population. So you have to. You have the choice. So. I think that's the message that we have to give to to the people. Letting them know that both type of vaccine, whether the old generation as as AstraZeneca or Sputnik uh, or or the new generation like Moderna or Pfizer, both have been administered to populations in developed countries to to high level of coverage. Uh, If we give that information to our people, and, and let them decide
0: themselves what they do. So when it comes to vaccine, you, you're saying give the right information and the people will choose, but the information that should go out should be the right kind of information so it can be useful. So in Arabic, there is a proverb that says, you remembered the way you lived. So if you take stock, you remembered the way you lived. So if you take stock of your life, how would you like to be remembered,
1: Modibo? I would like to be remembered as Modibo because Modibo means teacher in our language. It, it was the title of uh, teachers before and it became a first name later. Uh, so uh, one of my best, uh, what I appreciate doing really is teaching people. I like uh, when I go to countries to train people. Uh, that's really what I like. So I, uh, I, I, I would like to be remembered as Modibo.
0: That's, that's really a good question because I remember looking at your LinkedIn and just seeing the interaction that you have. I, I read a few of your articles and you really are a Modibo. You really are a teacher. You really have, have had an impact, I'm sure, in the space that you, you, you practice. And now I want to ask this question. You've worked in nonprofits, nonprofits for quite some time you mentioned you worked uh, for 17 years in nonprofit and then now you are I, I don't I don't think it's I don't know how to really say it but then you've transitioned as into an independent consultant. How has this transition been
1: for you? For me it's the same whether I am working with WHO or with private sector. What is important for me is really uh, what I uh, what uh, I can give to the society. That's the most important for me. Even when I I was uh, uh, running my private company in Mali, AfriTech, I was not uh, striving to have uh, the biggest profit. I was trying to do the best I can on each project. I would do the best I can for the beneficiaries, and I would do the best I can for my employees. And if at the end of the year my profit margin is very low, that was not very important for me. I was not really a real businessman, in court, because I know many businessmen also, most of the businessmen want also to be useful to the society, but I was not striving only for profit. I was striving to do the best I could for the beneficiaries of the projects I was working on, whether I was in private sector or on non-profit organization, it doesn't make any difference for me.
0: Yeah, so people who have lived and who are successful in their spaces, in their professional careers, always have been mentored. And then after some time, they, they start mentoring. Multiple. Have you? Uh, do, do you have any mentors in your career? And also now at at this stage in your life, are you mentoring anyone?
1: I first w- uh, went to the private sector. I started working with a British consulting firm called IT Power Limited, Um I called IT Power Limited, my second university, uh, I really appreciated the, the, the strive to do quality work. They would even prefer to, to lose money in a project rather than to do a bad. So that strive for quality, that's what uh, I really appreciated from them. So I learned a lot from them, people like uh, Terry Hart, who was their representative in Mali, people like, uh, uh, what is his name, uh, uh, his name is not coming, uh, Bernard McNeely's, uh and other people in IT Power Limited. That was very, um, uh, I learned a lot from that experience working with uh, IT Power. So I can say Paul was my mentor.
0: You're very lucky to have had a whole organization as a mentor. Everyone always has one person, or two people, but for you, you literally had a whole organization as a mentor. Are you mentoring anyone at the moment?
1: Um, not anyone in particular, but uh, many people, uh, I communicate with them regularly, and I, uh, I support them. Uh, I uh, help them when, for instance, they are uh, applying for a job. I support them uh, preparing their uh, uh, CV and preparing for interviews, etc., etc. So I support many people uh, in in their uh, professional work. But uh, uh, I'm not uh, mentoring a person in particular.
0: You have worked in different countries, and even at the moment you're in Geneva. In your professional life, have you ever been racially profiled because you're a black man coming from the African continent?
1: Yes. But it was not uh, a kind of violent profiling. Uh, it is, uh, there is something which I called the, for instance, to make you explain, uh, to make you understand what uh, the situation is, there is something which I called the Neanderthal message. You know the Neanderthal man, it was a species of human and it disappeared completely. So sometimes uh, in in, uh, Europe, uh, you're a black man working in an institution. There is a subject being debated on email. And the first person sends a message. Another person reacts to that message. The third person will react to the message of the second person and so on. So at some point, you are a black person, you react on a message. The next person to react will not react on your message, but will react on the message you reacted on, ignoring what you had said. So that happened very often. And that was really, uh, uh, I felt that very badly. Uh, the second thing is that uh, uh, one day they were collecting blood in WHO. They came to collect blood, uh, and uh, very happily I went there to give blood. And I was very disappointed when they said that they wouldn't collect my blood. And I insisted, why did you collect my blood? And then they said that uh, in Africa we have sickle cell. Problem, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I said, "Okay." They gave that explanation, but I was not sure that was the real reason. Uh, I felt bad about that. And the third occasion was when there was the tsunami in Thailand and uh, uh, Indonesia and so on, and uh, uh, countries of uh, Asian countries were asking WHO to send them logisticians. And in Africa, we had, uh, at that time, managed to train a lot of good logisticians within WHO, within UNICEF, within the countries themselves. We had very good, excellent logisticians that we could send. But these countries said they didn't want African logisticians. And WHO told me that. I didn't accept that because WHO is an international organization. They should have told those countries we don't profile people, a logistician, according to their rights. So, so there are some things like that, so, but it's not a violent profiling. Uh, while when you are in the in the streets or in the restaurants or something, no, no.
0: That's, that's quite interesting. I think everyone have had on the podcast has mentioned. Yes, I've been profiled as much as I'm a professional, as much as I'm an expert in my field. At some point, I think that the color of my skin is just maybe. A betrayal of some sort which is very very unfortunate that that's the uh, racial climate that we live in so just as we wind down modibo i'd like you to just tell me as you look at your professional life what was your highlight what is the highlight of your career
1: um, the highlight of my career i would say uh, i managed to create a supply chain management team across the continent for immunization. When I started that uh, job in WHO, we were two people, myself and a gentleman called Lionel Pierre from Haiti. From those from two people, we managed to have a, a big team of around 50 logisticians uh, across the country, very well trained very professionals, so I'm very proud of that, that uh, having succeeded to have built that team.
0: Congratulations, congratulations. I think that's the best thing about um, the, the audience, that's the best thing about listening to SCAN because we bring the best people, we bring people who have had achievements and people who have done the work to not only support themselves but also to give back and to ensure that Africa, as a content and the supply chain and logistic uh, space has been better. So Modivo, what would be your parting words to our listeners? What would be your parting words to anyone who listens to the podcast? What is that one thing you'd like them to take home as we wind, wind up the, the interview? Uh,
1: quality. In whatever you do, you must strive to do it in the best quality you can. That's really the message I would like to 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 tell the people never accept to do something bad quality
0: thank you thank you so much okay so thank you so much to the listeners as you have had we've had the teacher himself on board and his take home for you is that whatever you do ensure you do it with quality see you next time stay safe